Hello, everybody. I'm Derek Arden, and welcome to this week's edition of uh, Monday Night Live. Tonight, I've got Tracy Hooper all the way from uh, Portland, Oregon. Tracy's a friend of uh, Monday Night Live and has been on the show a number of times. We always learn things from uh, Tracy, and we're looking forward to learning a lot of things today. Tracy's latest book is called New the new hello and i'm just going to read a little bit of details of tracy from the back of the book tracy is an inspirational professional speaker and founder of the confidence project such an important issue she's been a tv news reporter anchor producer and voiceover professional um tracy's real country culture got all that wrong but we'll never worry about that she'd never do that or she'd get sacked where people are more confident and work together. Tracy coaches executives who want to elevate their professional presence. Welcome again, Tracy. We're so delighted to see you with us. Uh, tonight, we want to talk about words. Words are just so important. Words that create energy. Words that uh, where we lose energy. Uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, tell us all about the language we use. All about the language we use. Well, today we're going to talk about positive versus negative language. Derek and I had an interesting conversation to prepare for today. And we talked about how in everyday language we hear people say, how are you doing? Not too bad, or not bad for a Monday, or I'm hanging in there. What are some other negative words that you've heard, Derek, that get under your skin, that don't encourage positivity? Don't worry. What, get, what really annoys me is that younger people who say, uh, you say thank you and they go, that's okay or uh, no worries um, yes so you, and I, I try and give them some coaching on it but it doesn't work they think I've gone mad I'm some uh, old guy who uh, who's lost the plot and of course don't worry don't no worries is what Australians say all the time I don't know if people say that in the USA yeah well we've adopted it from Australia for sure you hear people say that all the time what I'm noticing is that there are some hidden negatives inside everyday conversations for instance how often do you hear people say let's see if we can't compromise well what does that mean let's see if we can't compromise that implies that the person you're talking to may be difficult the the clear positive would be let's find a compromise let's see if we can compromise on this nod your head if you've heard that expression let's see if we can uh, i i don't disagree I don't disagree, but my point is, well, that's assuming that that implies that we really don't disagree with someone, but what we're going to say is way more important. Uh, I, I don't disagree, but my point is, it's stronger to say, I agree with you, and I would add, or I see what you're saying, and I'll add this. Can you all see the difference? Mm -hmm. It's subtle, but I think the more, I believe, the more positive we can make our language the more people will compromise with us the more people will listen to our perspective we'll want to have a conversation with us here's another one you're not wrong many countries are on the brink of recession who says that you're not wrong i mean that implies that they're not really wrong but i'm more right than they are <laughs> it's stronger to say you're right and i'll add on to that I see what you're saying. Here's my perspective. This mm. is subtle, but you know, uh, I've often said this to Derek. Some people wake up in the morning and think of their to-do list. 
I wake up in the morning and think of words to use and words to lose lists. I'm always adding on to them. And I've noticed these hidden negatives and the opportunity for clear positives. And when you have those clear positives, it gives people a chance to, it elevates everybody in the room. It lets people know that you honor their point of view. Um, it, it acknowledges people and it establishes trust. If someone says, you know, you're not wrong, I think, well, do they, do they understand what I'm saying? If they're agreeing with me, why don't they simply dis simply agree? I think Tracy, that's very that's first of all, they're very negative people. And then when you study neurolinguistics, and we did a couple of sessions, didn't we, on NLP um, a year or two ago, if you say I don't disagree, people before they um, they have to take the negative off first, and then analyze the. Uh, positive so it's like saying don't think of a blue tree if you say i don't disagree they're actually using the word disagree and you are not wrong well you're wrong but you're not wrong so, uh, <laughs> right. so, so i know we're playing on words but these words are very important and can be used in embedded commands and uh, some of the people on here know all about that but uh, mm. only a few um sorry i interrupted you i just wanted to come and talk about the negative uh, before the positive i appreciate that i love the idea of you don't want people to think about a blue tree you say a blue tree they're going to think about it it reminds me of as a parent you know it takes seven positive comments about your child to negate one negative one wow and that's when you think about how often we correct our children as they're growing up, a woman who I admire said one time, catch your children doing something right. Mm. Don't always catch them doing something wrong. Think about that in terms of, I don't disagree. We're making the listener have to work hard to decode what we're, what they're, what we're saying. Sure. If instead we can say, I agree with you, or I understand your point, or I can see where you're coming from. And Here's my perspective. I love that. And we've all, we've all talked about that. If you, if you say, oh, I, I, Derek, I love your shirt, but your hair is, is kind of sticking out on the side. Well, all you do is think about your hair. Anything after the word, but is what we focus on. Therefore yeah. say, and I agree with you. And here's what I'm thinking. It's very, strong. Very there you go. Hidden negatives and clear positives. Now, what about swearing? What about swear words? It seems to be quite macho in 2023. Mm -hmm. swear. You hear it more and more on television, this side of the, uh, this side of the Atlantic and uh, the programs we get from you. Um, I think you call it the F-bomb. Where does the well, F-bomb fit? Well, let's, let's talk about it. You all put in the chat box how you refer to this. I refer to these as curse words, foul language, crude, coarse. What do you call... Derek told me you all call them swear words. I call these weak words. <laughs> this shows when people use swear words, in my view, it shows that they don't have a strong vocabulary. Think about all the words we can use in the English language or any language for that matter. And we have to pick a handful of gross, uninspiring words. Have I missed any? Crude, foul, coarse, swear words. Anybody else? uncouth maybe there's nothing in the chat box yet you're blowing people away okay. so, uh, <laughs> um, well here's the way i feel bad um, language bad language absolutely right yeah gutter language. language gutter language 
Thank you for that, Carl. Well, here's the article I was referencing before we started recording. It's called, We're Cursing More, Blame the Expletive Pandemic. And it turns out our work home boundaries are blurred and we're still zooming in our yoga pants and gym shorts and our interactions are more casual as someone mentioned earlier. And we've let our guard down and that means we've let our language down too. And this is interesting you all, we were talking about research. Listen to this all you in the UK. Denver-based Inverse Inversoft Inc. Clean Speak Profanity Filtering Software, which is used by companies that host online communities and other discussion forums, says the volume of filtered words has more than tripled in the past 18 months. This is an article from 2021. People are becoming more aggressive in their use of profane and sexually explicit terms, says so-and-so. Swearing can activate a natural defense against pain, says Richard Stevens, a psychologist at Keele University in the UK. Do you know this guy, you all? This is what he says. He has studied the effect of emotional language on pain management. His, 29, his uh, 2009 study found that undergraduates were able to submerge their hands in ice water for 40 seconds longer on average when they uttered a curse word of their choice repeatedly by arousing part of the nervous system and elevating the heart rate, cursing induced a stimulation, he says, that can have a pain alleviating effect. I had read that or something similar to that. Yeah. And uh, I I, um, I thought, think I might have agreed with it in a way because I do remember being very stressed several times working for Barclays and uh, I could watch my own language. I could hear my own language de deteriorating at that point. And I felt better for it. I had a good swear and then moved on. I don't think. Right. It, I don't a think good swear in a private place where the whole, you know, uh, the uh, whole community won't hear you. Yeah. Here's what people tell me. I swear to get people's attention or I just want to be myself. And I get that. It, 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 if you throw the F-bomb, it may get people's attention. I believe it's used so often now that it doesn't have any impact. Or I want to I wanna just be myself. I want to be who I am. Here's the point. Uh, we need to know that other people might be offended by the language. And we can't take that chance. I want you to be yourself. I want to be myself. But do we have to be ourselves to the point where we could offend other people? Another thing people say to me, it's not a problem for me because I can code switch. I know when I can cuss in front of my friends. And then when I'm at work, I don't. And I say it's too easy to do. When our girls were younger, I say, if you cuss with your friends, it's going to slip at school. It's going to slip when you're in a, in a mm. tight situation. And don't put yourself in that situation where you have to think about, is this the right place or is this the wrong place to do it? Here's the tenant of the confidence project. I believe it's easier to go from professional to casual than from casual to professional. Once people see you or hear how you speak in a certain way, they cannot unhear you that way. They cannot unsee you that way. And therefore, I... I err on the side of professional and I don't cuss. I have done it once. Um, I was giving a presentation for a big organization. There was a relevant story where the F-bomb was used. I said to the client, 
how this is part of the story how do you how do you feel about my using that and i would say this is a a tech company and therefore there can be more casual atmosphere and she said i think it'll be fine and as soon as i said it in the context of the story i wanted to put it back in my mouth i was embarrassed for myself and i have never done it since it's I've done the same as well. Once I realized you should never, ever do it in front of an audience. Uh, but I was always curious that Richard Bandler, the inventor of uh, NLP, does it all the time. And he does it for uh, effect or maybe for a pattern interrupt in psychology. Um, but actually, it's overused and it's quite offensive and it devalues it. Um, yeah. And then people, people copy him, don't they? Because you become who you spend the most time with. Absolutely. You know, we talk about what influences our language. Uh, the first is the first piece that influences our language is habit. We speak a certain way. We don't get feedback about it. We continue to speak that way. It's comfortable. The second influence on our word choice is culture, the family culture we were born into. If we heard our parents, our elders use certain phrases, we tend to use those too because we want to fit in. We want to belong. What's more important than belonging? But the other part of culture is popular culture. The cars we drive, the clothes we wear, the social media we ingest, the music we listen to, the language that we use is all a part of popular culture. If we hear it, we say it because we wanna fit in. Subconsciously, if I say this, I'll seem cool. If I say this, I'll seem relevant. If I say this, I'll fit in. And we slip into it and we don't realize that if you really want to stand out, if you really want to be um, the best version of yourself to overuse an expression, don't cuss. People will notice it. You can make an impact by pausing rather than cussing. The power pause is a very interesting uh, thing to do, isn't it? Something I don't think I've really mastered, or perhaps I do it intuitively, I don't know. Uh, what's your view on the power pause? Oh, I think it's everything. N not everything. I think it's key. By that, I mean, it gives people, a ch it gives you a chance to gather your thoughts. And it also gives the listener a chance to process what you've just said or get ready for something you're going to say. We always think about a comedian before they deliver a punchline, they pause. Mm. We can't wait to hear what they're going to say. Therefore, if you are, if you have those words in your vocabulary that are fillers, uh, um, like, you know, sort of, kind of, those are hedges. Um, if you use those kinds of words, then you can hold yourself back right before you say it and then pause and say what you're going to say. I'm a pretty good presenter versus ah. I'm a good presenter. Pretty is one of those words I love to remind people of. How often do we say, I'm pretty good at negotiating. I'm pretty skilled at taking a complicated situation and simplifying it. I'm, I'm pretty uh, prolific. I'm a pretty prolific writer. What does that mean? A pretty prolific writer. Either you are or you aren't. Absolutely. Take out that word pretty. That's a hedge that I'm I'm digressing here, Derek, but no, that's no, the no. power pause. That's great. I tell you what, uh, put in the chat box 
on a if ten is fantastic on a scale of naught to ten, if someone devalues the word good by pretty, uh, what does that make um, the statement on a scale of naught to ten in your opinion? Hmm. In the meantime, we'll keep going. Uh, we'll keep going, Nancy. If, uh, uh, Tracy, Nancy, Tracy, goodness me, what's the matter? I'm losing the plot here. Um, <laughs> that's who, fine. My sister-in-law is Nancy. I take that as oh, a well, that's why I said it. Uh, uh, or maybe but, it's Nancy Lotz Taylor you're thinking about. <laughs> let's move on to chapter six, or is it chapter seven in your book, where you actually talk about words to lose and words to use? I know you've mentioned some of them, but yeah. can we pick up a few more? Yeah, you know, I would love to talk about validators. Oh, yeah. Validators, fears, and hedges you talked about, didn't you? Well, hedges are words that we use because we don't want to come on too strong. Mm. We don't want to seem like we're aggressive. Right. Heaven forbid, assertive. We use words like just. I, I was, I, I just have a quick question. I'm just circling back. That's code for... I'm circling back to see if you got my email that I sent you two weeks ago and I please I wish you would please respond to me. Take out that word just. I'm circling back to ask you. I'm wondering about. Uh, we don't need to justify what we're saying. But here's another hedge that I think is really important that we don't often think about. And that is lucky. I was lucky. I was lucky to get this job. I was lucky to book this client. I was lucky to get the interview with, uh, or the conversation with, with Damian Lewis. I was lucky to be, you know, luck, as Seth Godin says, luck is not a strategy. <laughs> luck is finding a parking spot, a sweet parking spot when you're in a hurry. Luck is going to the grocery store and everything you need is on sale. Luck is winning the lottery. You know, you're, you're not lucky. You have, no matter what your profession, worked hard to get where you are, make those relationships continue to grow. That's not luck. That's a hedge I want people to lose. Couple, but of, let's couple of things there. Um, four out of 10, seven out of 10, six out of 10, five out of 10, five out of 10, seven. Call that an average of six. Alex says it's context sensitive. Of course it is, but pretty devalues good that's why i asked the question so if good was a seven it seems to have valid to have uh devalued it uh luck defined as when preparation meets opportunity all the time you won't be lucky unless you prepare or labor under correct knowledge i came across that uh, a number of years ago and always remembered it fantastic Spot on. I yeah i stopped <laughs> you in flow sorry <laughs> let's talk about validators I love validators because validators are words that we use because we want to make sure people are following along, that they're getting what we're saying. Therefore, we say things like phrases like, I don't like to use the word things. Patricia Fripp would get me for that. What is that thing? They use phrases like, is that okay? Do you know what I mean? Am I being clear? Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying? How often do you hear that? And look at my body language. Does that make sense? Am I being clear? And that is a validator. We want people to follow along. We want to make sure they're getting it. But the words to use are instead of saying, does that make sense? You can say, do you have any questions? Mm. And, uh, and somebody talked about context. Of course, context is key. I was giving a presentation with a, at a large law firm here in, in Portland. And one of the senior partners said to me, look, we're in family law. <laughs> we talk about divorce, alimony, 
child support, bank accounts, real estate, it's complicated and it's emotional. I will say to my clients, does that make sense? Or am I being clear? Absolutely, there are times when you can say that. But when you're giving a presentation or you're making some kind of a pitch or you're having a conversation with someone to always say, does that make sense? Doesn't sound strong. It's easier to say, do you have any questions? Is there anything I can clarify for you? What are your thoughts? Stronger than asking people if what you're saying isn't clear. Mm. I love those validations. Out of context, does that make sense? Devalues it, what you're doing and what you're saying. I think in the negotiation, I might ask it if I was getting this sort of body language and I wanted to clarify what, whether they'd um, got it or not. Right. Or you could say, raise your hand if this resonates with you. Mm. Oh, yeah. Does anybody want to add some insight? Sure. Then you get people involved. Mm. Uh, can you read from the chat box, Derek? I can. Yes, of course I can. Uh, there's a few things in the chat box, but I'd try and cut some of them down and we'll talk about them. Uh, um, Alan said he learned to use positive language from his kids from their birth from a book by Dennis Waitley. I followed Dennis Waitley and Brian Tracy uh, very much in the early days of uh, audio tapes most people are too uh, young to remember audio tapes but i've still got some here which is uh, absolutely right uh, positive language and uh, dennis um, not dennis harvey mckay says uh, i'll never talk to anyone that's negative and i mean that's a bit of an exaggeration but uh, it's it's right in a way because they uh, drain your energy that's the issue as we said at the beginning there's people that fire up your energy and there's people that drain your energy and we can all picture someone now i guess who drains their energy okay derek how about this may i offer what i think is the million dollar phrase yes please we're right, all writing it down now <laughs> that's right as they do in public speaking write this down everybody and it yeah. starts with the story when I was moving along in my TV news career, I, uh, my husband Henry was applying to graduate school and he applied to schools in markets that were good for me. And then where he got accepted, I started applying for jobs. And I applied for a job at WFSB in Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, I went to see the news director and he said to me, I, I really like your tape. I had to go there physically back in the day. And I took my demo tape with me. And he said, I really like your tape, but uh, we don't have any openings. And I said, thank you very much. And I came back home. And I was working with a, an agent at the time. His name is Ron Shapiro. And he uh, has been a longtime sports agent for baseball Hall of Famers and football all of Hall of Famers. And he took me on as a cub reporter. And I, I say to him, Ron, I, I, you know, they, don't, they liked my tape, uh, but they don't have an opening. And I thought he would say, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. And he said, okay, Tracy, I want you to go back to that news director and tell him I'm impressed with your team. I love the information, the news that you're putting on the air. And here's the quote. And I don't want to miss the chance of working for you. What if I work half time in the newsroom as a producer? and half time on the street as a reporter. And I thought, yikes, can I say that? So I practiced my pitch, which I tell everybody to do, we gotta practice, you can't show up and wing it ever. I practiced my pitch, I called him on the phone, and I said that, Dick, I am 
impressed with what you're doing. Your team is fantastic. I don't want to miss the chance of working for you. What if I do this and that? And he said, wow, nobody's ever offered this to that, us to this book, offered us that before. I'll get back with you. Two weeks later, he calls me back. He said, when can you start? And I thought, wow, I'm going to share, I'm going to shout that from the rooftop, share this with everybody I know. I don't want to miss the chance to interview you, talk to you, hire you, promote you, mentor you, meet you, invite you to congratulate. I didn't want to miss the chance to congratulate you on your promotion, on the publishing of the new article in Time Magazine or whatever. I don't want to miss the chance. And the beauty of this line, this million dollar phrase, is it not only elevates them, but it also elevates you. Like you want to be able to share them with other people, introduce them to people, work for them, hire them. I love it. I And I'm now sharing it across the pond and I'm thrilled to do that. The what camera, are your thoughts about the that? Camera, please repeat it again. I don't want to miss the chance. I don't want to miss the chance to talk with you, interview you, hire you, congratulate you, personally invite you to. I don't want to miss the chance. Fabulous. Now, um, in the last few minutes of the uh, program, I want to turn to when you were a news anchor. The thing that makes me cross over here is the negative news it seems to me that a lot of news programs want to open with the power of three and every one of those three has to be an emotional situation, which makes me feel negative, but it seems to play on minds. Why is that? Why can't they, why can't the news program start with a positive message? Because as we used, as we say in the news business then and now, if it bleeds, it leads. People are attracted to the negative. They want to know what bad is going on. I remember in, in when I was a reporter, we used to do something. If there wasn't any news going on, we would cruise for news. We would get in the news vehicle, the photographer, videographer and I, and drive around town looking for news. Now, you don't have to do that anymore because social media lets you know in real time everything that's happening in the world. But, I, and you know, it's interesting because I thought I wanted to be a hard news reporter. I thought I want to have the lead story every night. And I would get it occasionally if I were covering a, um, a trial. They, they would lead with me. I'd be outside of the courtroom. But for the most part, you all, I did human interest stories because that's who I am. I'm a positive person. I'm I'm good at encouraging people to talk about themselves or something that's going on in their world. And I remember having a conversation with myself. You are who you are. Let other people do the hard news. You can do it, but it's not your sweet spot. And I often had the news, the story at the end of the newscast, which I hope people hung hung around long enough to hear. But that's what that's what suited me. I encourage you to, uh, this is what I do. I read, we get the Sunday New York Times and I read the, the front section, of course. I read the business section or the opinion section. And then I give myself a break. Then I go to the section where they're talking about arts and entertainment, where I can find out what interesting plays or movies or lectures or books have been written. 
give yourself that that break in between all the hard news that we need to know. We need to know about the economy and we need to know about the war in Ukraine and we need to know about homelessness or uh, in um, unemployment, but not 24 seven. Give yourself a break in between all that hard news and give yourself something to celebrate. Uh, now, uh, Tracy, we uh, talk about body language and you talk about nasty resting face in your book. And I've just put everybody on gallery view to see how many nasty resting faces <laughs> we've got. And we don't have any, I think. We've got a lot of people smiling. I don't know whether that was because what I said, but uh, what do you mean by nasty resting face? And I have heard it re referred to as something else as well, this side of the pond, but I'm not going to mention it. That's right. It has an acronym. We'll avoid that. It's funny you should say that, Derek, because I have magazines. Uh, well, here's a picture of the Wall Street Journal. You recognize this guy, Stephen Colbert? I don't, but everybody else okay. would. Sure. Yeah, he's a he's a um, he's a late night talk show guy. He doesn't really have a nasty resting face here, but he has kind of a non-committal, distant. I would say vaguely interested expression on his face. And that is a part of our popular culture. Look at magazines, look at billboards, watch any kind of commercial on television, and you'll find people who have this distant kind of like look on their face. I refer to that as a nasty resting face. It means I'm too cool. I'm trying to act like everybody else. And I think there's nothing better than a pleasant resting face which is slightly upturned cheeks, right? You have a slight smile, it's not a big smile. You have engaged eyes. You use your eyebrows. When you raise your eyebrows and you lean in, that lets people know that you're interested. I'm following along. I'm curious about what you have to say versus this cold, distant, nasty resting face. And it's very apparent on Zoom because people are sitting there listening or not. And you can, you. I, you know, as a speaker, you get a lot of energy from other people in the room. Tim, Tim Durkin is nodding his head. He's smiling at me. I appreciate that. We need to do that for every Zoom call we're on because it's hard enough to be a speaker. And then you have to be an expert about some subject. You want people to follow along and feel like you're getting feedback. So avoid that nasty resting face. Use your eyebrows, open up your eyes, lean in, a slight smile. A pleasant resting face will go a long way. While you're on that subject, how some people just have the knack of when they're on television of looking like they're in your front room. Not many people. Uh, most people kind of are a bit like that, but, you know, they're reading an auto cue. How do you do that? Well, the secret for that is you all is to look into the lens. I want you to watch this. And I'm going to look down at you all. Now, Carl's nodding his head. And Cheryl just turned this way and Nancy's smiling. I can see you all, but does it look like I'm looking at you, Godfrey? Does it look like I'm looking at you? No, I'm looking at the screen. Now, does it feel like I'm looking at you? Can you see the difference? I'm looking down at the screen. Douglas is taking notes. And now I'm going to look up at the camera. This is a technique. I remember as a news reporter, I said to Pete Greer, one of my idol, whenever I had, whenever the, whenever the, um, 
uh, assignment editor said, Tracy, you and Peter working together today. I thought, oh, it's going to be a great day because he was such a good videographer. And I said to him once, we were doing a stand-up, you know, where you stand there in front of the, wherever you are with the microphone. And I said, Pete, I feel like I'm looking into a dark hole when I look into the lens. He said, Tracy, picture someone you know, love, or respect on the other side of that camera and speak to that person. That makes it feel like they are the most important person in the room, as if you are having a conversation with them. And I thought, well, I love my mom. I'll talk to my mom. And from then on, when I looked into the camera, I told the news story of the day to her. And now you, I can glance down and see that Lorraine has a pleasant resting face, but then I glance back up at the camera. So you can look away periodically. You can look at people to see if they're paying attention, but then always go back to that camera of yours. That will really help you to connect. Before we come to your last bonus tip, before we finish it, there's a couple of uh, quotes in the uh, chat box, which I must mention. Carl says, your vibe attracts your tribe. I've never heard of that one. Thank you, uh, Carl. I'll be using that shortly. And Andrew Plumage says uh, on the news, the maxim is maximum in news is if you're not scared, you're not doing your job properly as the reporter. I think that's a bit strong, but I think um, I think Andrew's probably right. I don't. Yeah, know. well, I was always scared if I had to have a live newscast. You know, I just thought if I'm going to be the lead story and it's got to be live, I was scared. And it didn't matter how well prepared I was or how many good sound bites I had or how strong the story was. When it's live, it's nerve wracking. So I'm with you and I'm with you there, Andrew. So uh, the bonus tip, Tracy, before we come to the end of the show uh, for us all for 2023, although we'll get you back uh, towards the end of 2023, you won't escape from us. <laughs> Thank you. It'd be my great pleasure. My bonus tip is this, I want you to consider, speaking of words to lose and use, I want you to consider switching from saying, I'm sorry, to thank you. Instead of saying, sorry for asking this question, sorry, I have a different opinion, sorry, I disagree. All the times that we say, I'm sorry, that we don't need to, we can switch to thank you. Thank you for your patience. Instead of saying at the beginning of an email, sorry to take so long getting back to you. Thank you for your patience. I want to do the, to do the research before I responded to your email. Uh, sorry for the noise. <laughs> uh, it's my neighbor's leaf blower. Instead say, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your flexibility with my Wi-Fi. Wi There's so many different ways that we can say thank you. I appreciate your understanding as opposed to apologizing. That would be my tip for 23. Absolutely brilliant. Now, in London or some parts, some cities in the uh, around the world, if you uh, bump into someone or move out the way, you generally say sorry in case he's got a shotgun or uh, <laughs> bigger than you. So uh, I've noticed that since we talked before that I say sorry to people when I probably don't need to, but it's self-preservation, I think. Well, it could be or you could say good morning. You know, you could say good morning. If two people headed for the same, if you're headed to the same door with somebody, instead of saying, oh, sorry, you could say after you. <laughs> uh, if you're going into a crowded elevator, instead of saying, oh, sorry, you, you go first, sorry. You could say, I have a meeting that starts in five minutes. Would you mind if I went ahead of you? Thanks very much. All kinds of ways that we can, is the word 
deprogram ourselves, unprogram ourselves to mm-hmm. stop using certain words. And I will leave you with this too, Derek and everybody. Be kind to yourself. Psychologists tell us it takes 30 days to build a habit or to break one. Therefore, if you want to lose the word sorry habitually, of course, if you've made a mistake, if there's been a misunderstanding, absolutely apologize. If you want to express empathy, I'm sorry this is happening for you. What can I do to help you? That's a perfectly appropriate way to use I'm sorry. But if you want to break the habitual way of if somebody bumps into you and you apologize and you'll say thank you instead, give yourself 30 days to do that. Then you can move on to the next word or phrase. That's absolutely fantastic, Tracy. Thanks very much. How do people get hold of this book? Is it available on Amazon in the UK? It is available on Amazon in the UK. And I also have the audio version, which is now available. I figured as a voiceover person, I should voice my own my own book. So here it is. And this is the way I encourage you all to read it. Look at the table of contents, pick a, pick a chapter that sparks your interest and read that chapter. You don't have to read it from beginning to end. Of course, every author would love that. But do what works for you. If you're interested in words to use and lose, that's chapters chapters six and seven. If you're interested in uh, confident conversations, that's chapter, I don't know, maybe 10. I can't remember. You'll find um, it. But pick, pick a chapter that interests you. Tracy, thanks so much for joining us. I'd like to ask members of Monday Night Live to give you the usual round of applause in the normal way, please. Thank you, everybody. Lovely to see you.